0: Uh, back at it.
1: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. Oklahoma State, unbeaten. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't perfect. But they are unbeaten. Let's bring in Colby Powell. Colby, lots to discuss with the OSU game against West Virginia. Uh, we have tons to discuss with that and looking ahead towards towards Kansas. But uh, did you have a good weekend watching the game? The well, game wasn't pretty, but I hope good you had a weekend, good weekend. Watch-
0: yeah, I watched a lot of football, watched uh, OU on on Saturday morning, get things kicked off, looked really good, and then looked really bad. A little OSU, a little Texas action, a lot of NFL yesterday. Got to uh, clean up a possum out of my bedroom last night that the dog brought in, so the other one got sprayed by a skunk. So it was an eventful weekend, to say the least.
1: Oh, man, that that's uglier than the OSU game, having to do all that.
0: Uh, yeah, it was – it was not. We were just winding down for bed whenever uh, the them entered with the dog, and then a different dog got sprayed by the skunk. So, needless to say, bedtime got pushed back a little bit on a uh, Sunday night.
1: You know what else stinks, Colby? The Big 12. Uh, no. Not not a banner two weeks for the league when you're uh, the, the franchise Oklahoma, who's the only team to ever get in the college football playoff, loses Texas, nearly loses, in Lubbock. I still don't know how they won that game. But, Colby, the Big 12 – before we get into the first five, just real quick, the, the Big 12 had this tremendous opportunity this year with the Pac-12 and Big 10 not having their act together. It could have been a tremendous advertisement for what people don't really realize about the Big 12. You know, it's flyover country. People don't watch it week to week. They haven't realized that last year there was some good defense played in this league. But now it's just, ah, oh, there's, there's the Big 12 again. They stink. They don't play the same football that the Big 10, SEC, and everyone else does.
0: Yeah, I don't think Saturday did anything to help that narrative. You look at, uh, I mean, not even OU, the Texas Tech-Texas game was 56-56 at the end of regulation. That's, (laughs) I mean, regardless of the fact that Texas won, that's still embarrassing that they gave up 56 to Tech. And look, I I like Alan Bowman. I like T.J. Vasher. Sir Roderick Thompson, I think, is a good player, but that game got out of hand, and then Kansas State comes in missing, what was it, seven or eight starters? We didn't even know if they were able to play the game. They've been shifting tight ends around on the offensive line. And OU blows a 21-point second-half lead to that Kansas State team that lost to Arkansas State. That's that's a bad, bad look for the Big 12, I think, whenever your top team goes down to a team that couldn't get past Arkansas State in the non-con.
1: No kidding. I mean, I, I'm curious to see when it's all said and done what the record is of the Big 12 champion, because <laughs> for the first time, they might have two, three losses. Uh, so that's that's certainly worth monitoring. Uh, but of course, the Pistols Firing Podcast always brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop at com. Be sure to log on. I mean, I know people are having a tough time getting to Stillwater these days with lack of fans in the stands and all that but uh, you can always go online they'll ship it to you simple easy and uh christian rishi spirit we appreciate them being a partner again this year with the pfb podcast with that being said let's get to the first five colby before we dive into the osu west virginia game i did want to touch on um thurman thomas going in the ring of honor and before the game started you know we did our pregame show on koco i I teased the interview on the last podcast uh brand whedon was very open, very honest, and, and very critical of Oklahoma State for the for the treatment of former players. What did you think uh, watching the interview?
0: Yeah, I, I turned y'all on on Saturday morning. It was a great pregame show, and uh, the interview with Wheaton was pretty telling. I, I thought it just the way he and the way Thurman talk about Gundy and talk about the Oklahoma State football program. It, it sounds to me like they're describing an old acquaintance, somebody that they used to work with a long time ago, and it, it just you know, you, you totally get this family vibe, and that's what Gundy wants to push. And, and Stillwater feels like a family. I mean, it's felt like a second home to me my entire life. So to hear some of the all-time greats basically talk about it like it's an old acquaintance somebody you used to work with and now you see occasionally or you keep up with them on Facebook, it just has this weird vibe to it. And Saturday, the stuff with Thurman was really cool, and I hope that was a step in the right direction. And, and Whedon even did say that he thinks that that was a step in the right direction to start the Ring of Honor. And, hopefully, that opens the floodgates toward getting more former players involved, um, not just blaming Gundy. I don't know if it's a Gundy problem, a Holder problem, Weiberg, whoever, you know, Burns Hargis, whoever is responsible for making sure that former players feel welcome in Stillwater. Uh, seems like has been dropping the ball. So, hopefully, that that's going to turn around and pivot to where Oklahoma State becomes uh, like a lot of other programs that always welcome back the alumni and always want those guys back. It helps your program to have the greats come through. So hopefully we'll start to see more of that in Stillwater.
1: Yeah, and as I said in the interview, like in my follow-up to Brandon, I'm like, this is like an easy fix. How is this even a, an issue? But a, clearly it is. And I knew Brandon had, had felt this way off the record. So when I asked about Thurman, I, did, I was going to let him take it wherever direction he wanted to go. And it's clear he wanted to get some stuff off his chest. Because that's what he did. And to me, Colby, I have i know Gundy has some blame here. I'm not absolving him completely. But look, Mike Gundy's got games to win, especially this time of year. Like, he's got enough on his plate. I've heard this goes way above Gundy, way beyond him. This is, this is his higher ups up in the athletic department. And, you know, we all know who runs the athletic department. It's Mike Holder. And ultimately, I think this discontent falls at his feet. I mean, you just look at the golf program, I mean, they have they have lockers for former golfers at Karsten Creek, and there's football players who don't even feel welcome on campus. That's a big dichotomy, and we all know Mike Holder loves the golf program. Has he taken care of the football program? It, to me, it doesn't seem so with the way the players are talking about their, their alma mater. I mean, this is the greatest quarterback in school history. You got an NFL and college football Hall of Famer in Thurman, and neither of them are happy. So... It's up to them to, to figure it out. I think Chad Weiberg might get it figured out, but he's not in charge yet. So clearly there's there's an issue here. And you know, Brandon, as he said in the interview too, he hangs out with OU football players. And I think he sees what the way they're honored and the way that they're taken care of. He's like, man, that that sure would be nice. And this is Brandon who he gets catered to more than more than most alums. He's a recent alum. Uh he's been back as as he said, a couple times, a few times. There's guys that, you know, that that don't get to come back ever and they're not welcome back so uh, to me it's a it's it's strange it's a very easy fix and hopefully this ring of honor is a good first step and i think it is but clearly much more needs to be done to to appease the the alumni because this is just a bad look and again i i'm hearing it goes way above and beyond my gundy
0: yeah i agree and i think saturday was really cool thurman doing the cabbage patch in the stands was cool um, everybody got fired up to see him and and he's a good guy to uh, to do it on one of the all-time greats so I'm glad he got in I'm glad they're moving the right direction and hopefully they'll continue to move further that direction
1: yeah for sure and I think dial uh, now that it's out in the open I think I think some stuff will get done uh, Gundy's having his press conference right now I haven't seen if he's been asked about that yet but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, number two on the first five, let's get to the game, Colby. Um, West Virginia, we knew Oklahoma State was not going to be with, with Spencer Sanders. I was surprised he he actually went through warm-ups and wasn't, wasn't limping too bad, but I had heard that there was no chance he was going to play against West Virginia, and clearly he didn't even attempt to give it a go, and Illingworth was the guy, but uh, we can break this down first, which is offensively. Uh, Colby, it was a slog. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's putting it lightly. But uh, I did think Oklahoma State didn't manage the game well. I thought Gundy didn't ask Illingworth to, to do anything crazy, tried to manage him as best he could. And the offensive line still is what it is, Colby. They're, they're going to be without uh, the two offensive linemen that were injured again for a couple weeks. Gundy said that today in his press conference. But the running game's struggling, the passing game's struggling, and they're just trying to get by right now.
0: Yeah, I uh, I thought – thank God for Tevin Jenkins or else it would have been a serious problem on Saturday. I thought he did a pretty good job. Some other guys were getting beat. You can tell Illingworth wasn't really comfortable. And I thought that after he threw the interception, they really got scared to let him air it out. I thought the first quarter they came out, first play, they took a shot. They took another couple shots in the first quarter. And they were really trying to, I think, set up the run using the pass. I think it worked to an extent. But then I think as the game went – Oklahoma State started to clam up offensively with the play call. Did you did you kind of feel the same way?
1: Yes. And again, I don't do do I well, I like them for them to be aggressive, sure. But I think with the way that game was playing out, just don't just don't screw it up on offense and let your defense carry you home. And that's I, I, I was fine with the conservative nature because the, when they did finally let Illingworth finally cut it loose a little bit, it's when he threw the pick. So I, I totally get the conservative nature. That's a game you could win with your defense. The West Virginia could have played another four quarters and not got to 27, the way that defense was playing for OSU. So I, I didn't hate it. Typically, I do if you got Mason Rudolph at quarterback. But with Shane Ellingworth, I, I didn't have too much of an issue with it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was fine because of the way that the game was playing out. Uh, you know, you had LD and Chuba. Chuba obviously um, was having some struggles and then was able to kind of get the touchdown run there at the end to maybe get everybody off of his back for a week but LD looked really good and and Tylan, I mean Tylen is just so good on that last drive when Oklahoma State went out there and got the ball with what seven eight minutes left and uh, started driving down the field I mean those third down catches that Tylen made to extend that drive which resulted in the Chuba touchdown the dude is just I mean he's Superman when you need him he's there and I, I don't know without Tylen Wallace Oklahoma State would have some serious problems offensively because they certainly would not have gone on that last touchdown drive.
1: I actually tweeted that. I was like, maybe Tylen Wallace actually is Superman. You know, that's his nickname, and he just <laughs> He he does he does remarkable things. And again, I know the limitations they had a quarterback, but to me, a, an ongoing storyline on offense is the lack of a, a second option that you can really really go to when the chips are down and, and Tylen's covered. I mean, second leading receiver was Dylan Stoner with three catches, thirty-one yards, and uh, Tay Martin. They tried to get involved. He only had three catches for nineteen. Braden Johnson's been a non factor this year. I think he has less than thirty yards receiving through two games. So
0: where's D Anderson at?
1: I yeah, we heard about him all all camp. And big I I'm
0: transfer apparently I'm I'm still waiting to see him.
1: Yeah. I mean two big time transfers with him and 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 Tay Martin. But um mm-hmm. so that's a concern. But to me, Coley, the biggest storyline for the offense is LD Brown's been their best running back this year. And look, I would never Ever in a million years, even in the year 2020, suggests that LD Brown is a superior running back than Chuba Hubbard. But I will say he's been far more effective, he's been far more decisive, he's been far more aggressive running the football, and he has, I believe, just like 23, uh, 23 or 28 less rushing yards on 29 less carries. I think was the stat that I said last night on crashing the boards. I and mean, he's been with less chances, he's been the far more effective running back, and Chuba Hubbard puts the ball on the ground twice. So with all the issues they've had a quarterback, Colby, I think Chuba Hubbard's been a big issue for this offense too.
0: Yeah, he's fumbled now three times in two games against not very good defenses. Uh, he's been really fortunate that Oklahoma State jumped on both of those on Saturday. That, could, that game could have gone a different direction if Chuba had lost one of those two fumbles. Because Oklahoma State was only up by a touchdown at the time. You fumble in your own territory and give it to West Virginia, Maybe we're not looking at a 27-13 to result if you put your defense with a short field. But like you said, LD, 11 for 103. And Chuba had 22 for 101, so half as many carries for LD. And he rushed for more yards on Saturday. Now, he did have the big one that he broke. Uh, I, I think it's twofold. I think, one, Chuba is not running as aggressively as we've seen. For whatever reason, it seems like he's just running a little bit passively. Also, I think that when Chuba is in the game, I think there's much more of a concerted effort from the defense to load the box and stop him. I do think LD's getting better looks. I I think that that's part of it. I think if he keeps running the way he is, that that will go away and teams will start to respect him the way they respect Chuba. But I don't think he's getting quite the attention that Chuba's getting when he lines up in the backfield. So I think that's helping him a little bit as well. But I mean, even when he gets the ball, when LD gets the ball, I mean, it's like he's turning on the jets and he's ready to go. And, And when Chuba gets the ball, Up until that last touchdown round on Saturday, it kind of looked like he was just almost being too patient, like he was waiting for some big hole to develop. I'm like, dude, you're playing behind the 100th best offensive line in the country. Whatever big hole you're looking for, it ain't there. You better find (laughs) something and and go.
1: Better use that track speed, right? Yeah. Um, To me, it's it's a weird dynamic too, Colby. I was just thinking about this when I was watching the game. Like, Chuba puts the ball on the ground for the second time. What's that conversation like with Mike Gundy and him, with all they went through in the offseason? Can Gundy even, like, chew his ass with the way things have played out for him in the offseason? It's a very odd dynamic when your best player calls you out in the offseason, uh, calls you to the carpet, and then you're not performing, and you're fumbling, and the coach is still the coach, and he can, he can sit you on the sideline. I, I'm curious your thoughts just of what that player-coach dynamic's like when, when Chuba puts the ball on the ground with those two went through this offseason.
0: Yeah, I still think uh, – I, I don't know what it's like, but I, mean, I think what it should be is Mike Gundy's the coach, Chuba Hubbard's the player, and if Mike Gundy needs to rip his ass, then he needs to rip his ass because you can't be putting the ball on the ground like that. And I think Chuba is mature enough to understand that what happened in the offseason does not dictate how you're going to be coached in the season. Does, does that make sense? Because, yeah, no, that's well said, yeah. Yeah, and, w- and with his maturity, it's like – it's almost like, you know, if my wife and I get in a fight – And then six months later, something happens, and I I bring that up. You know, well, that's not fair. We've moved on from that. So whenever Chuba decided to come out and make that video with Mike Gundy and, you know, apologize for tweeting and saying you should have handled it differently and we're moving forward, what that means is that we're moving forward. And if you need to be coached because you're not performing, then Mike Gundy needs to be able to do that. So um, I, I hope that that is still the dynamic between coach and player, that Mike Gundy can get on him if need be, or maybe it's Casey Dunn. I don't I don't even know who's the one who's talking to Chuba uh about the fumbling and, and about just the way he doesn't seem to be running as hard. But I'm sure somebody's had some words with him because he's he's a mature enough guy. I think he understands that and can handle it.
1: No, that's that's very well said. And I'm pretty sure that's that's that has to be what's the way it's gone down. But it was interesting too. Apparently Robert Allen, the sideline reporter on the broadcast, was openly questioning if Chuba wanted to play football. That's and that's that's Robert who's very close to the program. he's down there on the on the sideline with the team uh, that that raised my eyebrows. Uh, I'm not sure what you think about that.
0: yeah my my bad my, I was muted that uh, Robert is he look, he's a lot closer to the program than I am. He's there every day. he sees these guys, he talks to them he he knows the vibe of what's going on. That being said, man, we're. We're not even a full two games into the season. I don't know that I think it's fair or or even necessarily responsible to call into question whether a guy wants to play football two games into the season. He hadn't looked his best, but I mean, I don't expect everybody to have their best day every time they take the field either. So who knows? Maybe Chuba comes out next week, the week after. And uh, what is it Kansas a bye weekend and Baylor? maybe he comes out and he, and he starts to look like old chuba maybe he 's just off to a slow start for whatever reason um, so i, I don 't know that I'm, i don 't know that i 'm in or, or good with questioning whether a guy wants to play football a game and a half into the season yeah
1: i, I don 't know what 's going on with chuba 's mindset or anything like that, but I do know this in terms of the conversation with Mike gundy. We saw some motivational tactics by Mike Gundy because he brought in for the first time, the junior college transfer, Desmond Jackson, who we didn't see at all last year. He basically played him over Chuba for a couple, he got three carries and then he finally puts Chuba back in the game and Chuba runs for a touchdown. So maybe that, maybe that motivational tactic worked because Chuba certainly looked like the Chuba we knew and and, and have grown to see with that, that decisive quick cut, easy touchdown for him. And I think, Whatever we want to say about the offseason and how Gundy and him are communicating, that's, that's the communication I saw. They put in Desmond Jackson over him to say, look, if you keep putting the ball on the ground, we got to play somebody else. And so they put yeah. Chuba back in, he scores, and, and hopefully they can all move on and Chuba can get back to, to his ways.
0: Yeah, Jackson didn't see the field before the second fumble. Even after the first fumble, he didn't see the, uh, the field. But it's not even, you know, like I'm looking at the fumble in the OU game where the Kansas State defender – I mean, you're talking helmet on football. That's a perfect hit. And, and the, the runner is really just in a tough position there being asked to hang on to that ball. That ain't what, that's always happening with Chuba. I mean, that ball's being held out there loosely. And the second fumble, the guy just came in, just hit him on the right arm, and out came the football. Luckily, Oklahoma State was able to get back on it. But I think uh, playing Desmond Jackson was a message. And I don't know what you thought, but I, I didn't even know if we were going to see Chuba the rest of the game. I, I thought that they might just go Jackson and Brown the rest of the game and let Chuba figure it out uh, in, the, in the next week and bring him back against Kansas. But they brought him back and he scored the touchdown, which was good. But I, I thought it was good to run Jackson out there for a few plays. I don't, I don't care if you finished top five in Heisman voting last year or not. You fumble, you fumble. And that's, that's not acceptable.
1: I kind of was surprised Chuba went back in the game. But uh, I also wasn't surprised. Was a could, little bit. I also wasn't surprised he scored because he's, he's Chuba Hubbard. And, yeah. and, again, I think if Chuba can get back to, to his – his level of play i think that will that'll pay dividends for the for the offensive line that's really struggling and really this offense when they when they go up to lawrence but uh, colby number 3 osu's defense is big 12 championship caliber i mean we saw it again they are they're elite i think they're the best defense in the big 12 what i've seen so far and they really beat the tar out of Jarrett Dagey. I mean, they hit that. He's going to need an ice bath all week this week. But I could not been. I could not have been more impressed with the defense. And Colby through two games. The OSU defense is allowing 4.4 4 yards per play. Alabama and Clemson are allowing 4.2. That's <laughs> that's the level of defense we're seeing in Stillwater.
0: Yeah, and look, I get that it's Tulsa and West Virginia, but. I bet West Virginia is going to score some points on some people in this conference this year. I, mm-hmm. I really don't see how you could look at what's transpired so far in the Big 12 and say that Oklahoma State not only has the best defense in the conference, but that Oklahoma State has the best defense in the conference by leaps and bounds. I, I mean, the way these guys got after Dagey on Saturday, I mean, Jared Dagey is, boy, he's hurting still today, and I would have hated to know how he felt when he woke up yesterday morning. Bundage was hitting him hard over and over again. Amen was hitting him hard over and over again. He just kept getting drilled on these blitzes, and sometimes sometimes it wasn't even a blitz. I mean, sometimes they'd bring four, and they'd get there easily. Didn't really have anywhere to go with the ball. Uh, I thought aside from, you know, two, maybe three missed tackles throughout the game, Colby Harvell-Peel missed a couple of tackles, but, you know, you're not going to get them all. I thought for the most part it was another just absolutely stellar defensive performance from Oklahoma State. And, you know, with Spencer Sanders gone, the the timing's really pretty good. You beat West Virginia behind another great defensive performance. You got Kansas next week and then a bye. You would think you'll sit Spencer Sanders for Kansas with a bye coming up the week after so that he's got two more weeks to heal. I just, man, I love what I'm seeing from Oklahoma State's defense right now. I I think that their defense will give them a chance to be the best team in the conference.
1: Absolutely, and they did give up the big play on the slant, which to me reminded me so much of the Baylor game last year, where they played great defense for a majority, and they just gave up these three, four, five huge plays kind of over the middle. That that might be a soft spot in the defense on the slant routes, because West Virginia hit them a few times with that, but but overall, it was, it was exceptional. They, they beat up the quarterback. Trace Ford is an absolute superstar in the making. Oh, that, how
0: did I forget Trace Ford when I was calling out names? Good that,
1: call. That strip sack he had was an NFL move. He was getting held and still got the football out. And Ty, Tyron <laughs> Irby levels Jarrett Daigie, picks up the ball and starts running with it and kind of was holding it very loosely. And Jim Knowles after the game was like, this is, this is going to give me a heart attack because I, all I could see was him carrying it like that. And he almost got... He almost got stripped from behind, kind of like DK Metcalf did for the Dallas Cowboys.
0: He almost got Metcalf.
1: Yeah, he almost did. And fortunately for him, he he didn't. And and they were able to get a touchdown on defense, which really kind of opened the game up for OSU. But, Colby, this is a trend we've seen with the defense, dating back to the last six games of last year. Excuse me. Uh, The last six games, here's the point totals they allowed at the end of last season. 27-27, 13-13. 34 against OU and 24 in big 12 play. That is winning defense that will with OSU with what they're used to doing on offense. That's, that's big 12 championship caliber defense. They've only allowed 20 points through two games this year against Tulsa and West Virginia. But I think West Virginia, as you said, has some weapons in the receiving core. Letty Brown's a good running back. Deggie's a capable quarterback who we talked about last week. He's an upper, he's probably, you know, in the middle of the pack to top tier of the big 12. And to me, Colby, with those numbers they put up last year, all those returners they have on defense, they've picked up right where they left off.
0: Yeah, they have. And it's, you know, we had all these guys coming back, and it's like, you know, this, is, this should be good. Defense will be good. But, you know, I, I don't even know that I was expecting it to be as good as it has been the first couple of days. I'm really curious because we won't learn much more about them against Kansas. But I'm really curious, once you get into Baylor and you start seeing Baylor and some of these better teams, even Texas Tech, you know, Texas Tech hung fifty-six. On, on Texas and should have won that football game if they didn't kind of uh, you know throw it away there at the end but I'm really curious to see what they do against some of the better offenses in this league because I mean if they can go out and hold Texas Tech you know to 27 or less points you'd think that should be an easy win I'm, I mean I'm really curious what they can do against OU could, could does OSU have a good enough defense that they could go out and hold a Lincoln Riley offense under 30 points which almost no one can do. Because if they can, I mean, we're talking about an Oklahoma State team that could win the conference. And yes, I, I really want Spencer Sanders back and for the offense to improve. But I think that that will take care of itself a little bit. If Oklahoma State's defense can stay healthy, you know, you can't afford to lose Trey Sterling, Bunda, Amen, you know, some of these guys, Colby Harvell, Peel, Malcolm Rodriguez. Uh, by the way, Rodarius Williams, I thought was phenomenal. Big time. Saturday's game.
1: He was big time. And yeah. to your point about OU, I, I do think this is where playing Oklahoma earlier in the season this year helps because how many guys have they had hurt for the Bedlam game over the last 10 years it's it's been a it's been a high number on offense and certainly there's been some defensive players that have been out and Spencer Rattler is a redshirt freshman you saw against Kansas State I talked a lot about his arm talent in in week one but I did mention that when the pocket kind of collapsed around him he got a little antsy and kind of ran into some tackles and I think Pressuring him is OSU's ticket to holding them to the number you mentioned. I don't know if they will because it's Lincoln Riley and he, he finds ways to get guys wide open no matter who the opponent is. And they were cruising against K-State until, you know, the adversity hit. But, no, I, I think they can pose big problems, especially with OU's offensive line. They are not the level they've been the last five, six years under Lincoln Riley. They were, they were gettable. And K-State put, put a lot of pressure on Rattler. And I think that's the ticket. I think OSU can win with defense. Get after the quarterback, force turnovers because that's why OU doesn't force turnovers. They they have been near the bottom in the right. country in forcing turnovers, and the reason why, you know, Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley they, they talk so much about man, I just can't believe we're not getting. Turn-. The reason you don't is they don't pressure the quarterback. They haven't had a pass rusher since Obo Okoronkwo, and he's been in the NFL for several years. And I know they're missing Ronnie Perkins and and uh, Jalen Redmond opted out. Those are two of their best pass rushers, but that that could be a good recipe for Oklahoma State. They can pressure the quarterback where, where Oklahoma cannot.
0: Yeah, and I think that Spencer Rattler is much closer to Baker Mayfield in terms of mobility than he is to Kyler and Jalen Hurts. And that's what, you know, has given Oklahoma State so much trouble is mobile quarterbacks uh, because then you can't just pin your ears back and go. That's why I almost wonder, you know, whenever Oklahoma State faces Kansas State, Skylar Thompson and what, what Kansas State does with just kind of the little awkward run scheme and then the passes over the top whenever you bite down – I almost think that just from a, a purely matchup standpoint, that that could be a little bit uh, tougher. And obviously OU is going to be so much more talented, but that's still the tougher matchup. Um, but, but just from a, a style standpoint, I think a team that has a quarterback that can move around might give Oklahoma State some more problems. Because if you truly allow Calvin Bundage, Amon ongbong and Trace Ford to just put their hand in the dirt and put their, their, their cleat down and go – you're going to have serious problems. It's going to be a long, miserable day for quarterbacks. So I think that the key for teams around Oklahoma State's defense is you got to get your quarterback moving because Oklahoma State's going to be able to pressure the quarterback better than anybody in the conference.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You mentioned it next week, uh, number four on the first five, uh, looking ahead to Kansas. Again, this schedule is pretty optimum for the the injury to Spencer Sanders. And I'm with you. I don't know. If i don't I don't know yet if Spencer will play, I'd heard he's going to miss at least the Kansas game too and be back for Baylor, but
0: it'd be silly to play him Carson. It'd be absolutely silly
1: it would, and I know Kansas lost to coastal Carolina, but Lawrence is not a place that they've really played all that well it's it's t- in typical fashion when it's not twenty twenty it's kind of a sleepy high school type environment it's tough to get up for uh and again, it's Kansas they should absolutely go up there and win. I'm not saying they shouldn't but you know, it's a it's a game that you know if Ellingworth starts throwing interceptions, that could get a little interesting. So I, but I'm with you. I don't I don't think they will play Spencer Sanders. They certainly shouldn't need to, and they they should be able to run the football much better against Kansas than they were against West Virginia's defensive front.
0: Yeah, my whole thing about playing Spencer is if you didn't have a buy next week, then maybe I would be on board with running him out there if he's like 80 percent and and making sure that you go out there and do what you need to do. You've got to buy the week after. So I think you could probably run an 80% Spencer out against Kansas and you're definitely going to win that game. Or you could let him rest for two more weeks and be 100% for the final seven games of the season. And, I mean, you're still going to beat Kansas 99% of the time without Spencer Sanders. So I think you've just got to leave it up to the other guys and, and, and just say, you know what, we, just, we can't screw up. We can't make mistakes. You can't turn the ball over. Chuba, you can't put it on the ground. Shane, you can't throw interceptions. Because if you don't make mistakes, you beat Kansas easily. So, I think it'd be silly to run Spencer out there. I think that this is a good game to try to get Chuba back to being Chuba and to find a second receiver because, like you said, I mean, our our preseason show that we did, I was talking about Brayden Johnson and how he's got a chance to take the top off. He's been all but invisible. Dylan Stoner is a non-factor. Anderson and Tay Martin haven't done anything since they've come over. And, oh, yeah. I thought Jelani Woods was a big guy who could catch the ball. I guess Oklahoma State has no interest in using him in the passing game. So I think on Saturday your two big things are to get Chuba back to being Chuba and try to figure out who can be another pass catcher.
1: Yeah, I've been disappointed with the usage of Jelani Woods. I've been asking for them to throw throw him the football for for two years now. Yeah. I, I guess it's just not it's just not going to happen. But. But they should absolutely win that game. And we've kind of touched on it too. Number five, OU loses to Kansas State. Big 12 is in total shambles, but OSU's undefeated in Big 12 play. But what was your take on K State, OU? I mean, OU led by 21 twice. And at a certain point, Colby, this is kind of who you are as a football program. Oklahoma. They beat the big dogs of the league, and they lose to the little dogs. I mean, this is their sixth loss as a 20-point favorite since 2009. No other team has more than three in that span. So OSU get, or, uh, OU gets up for OSU when, when Bedlam's on the line for Big 12 championship berth. But, man, they, they find ways to lose in, in maddening ways to the lower half of the league.
0: Yeah, it just – it doesn't make any sense. It defies all logic, really. And I actually think that the one on Saturday was more embarrassing than some of the ones in the past just because of what Kansas State has been dealing with. We didn't know if they were going to be able to play. You know, they they lost to a Central Arkansas team in the opener. Central Arkansas was without eight starters in that game. Kansas State comes into that game against OU without seven or eight starters. And then you go out and it looks like you're going to run the score up. And then they took their foot off the gas and started making every mistake possible – And I think Spencer Rattler is an absolute stud and I think he's going to be a superstar. And I think he's got NFL type arm talent, but I tell you what, uh, that was his first real football game as, as a collegiate passer. I mean, Missouri state was a football game, but that was more of a scrimmage. That was his first (laughs) real football game. And when he got asked to lead big time drives under big time pressure with the game on the line, he, he folded like a cheap tent. So I still think he's a stud, but I think that uh, – I think OU fans are are in for a rude awakening that the poise that Kyler and Baker had, uh, Jalen Hurts did some of that last year. I think that that is a learned skill. And I think that it's, it's going to have to take some growing pains with Spencer Rattler before he is um, a guy who can win you a national championship, which is what I think Oklahoma fans think that he's good enough to do. And maybe he will be next year or the year after. But their national championship hopes this season certainly took a big shot on Saturday. Their defensive lineman's a non-factor. I mean, when you're playing against OU, I mean, standing in the pocket against OU is about as relaxing for a quarterback as a day at the beach. So that's a big problem that <laughs> they're going to have to figure out.
1: Well, I was wrong on the schedule. I forgot with the, the reshuffling and all the, well, the schedule changes with COVID that they got, that game got moved back to November 21st, the third, <laughs> yeah, third to last right. game of the year. They are supposed to play yeah. in October, but that got moved later. But to your point, this is a new thing for Lincoln Riley, Colby. I mean, he's had an experienced quarterback that's had, had legit D1 college football experience every single year. Baker Mayfield had played at Texas Tech. He had redshirted as well at Oklahoma to learn the system. Kyler Murray had been there for several years. Jalen Hurts played a ton of football. This is their, his first real young, inexperienced quarterback. And I think to your point, we saw that. I mean, OU did not handle adversity at all. When, the, when things got tough – Everyone was kind of looking around, and this is where they miss a Kenneth Murray at linebacker, a Neville Gallimore on defensive line, and certainly at quarterback, a Jalen Hurts. And I think that's, that's why I said before the year, OU is more vulnerable than they've been in, in, in quite some time, at least since Lincoln Riley's been there, because of the lack of experience at quarterback, the lack of playmakers on defense. And uh, we saw that at Kansas State. I mean, look, Kansas State was missing five defensive backs, and Rattler had a good game, but he also threw three interceptions. And I think that's where OSU can really, really get after Oklahoma and, and you really have to like their chances but again there's a ton of football to be played before they before they play Bedlam
0: yeah I, um, I, I agree with everything that you just said I, I think that you just don't know how a guy's going to respond whenever his team's down in the fourth quarter with three minutes left until you see a guy on the field and his team's down in the fourth quarter with three minutes left and you, you know I was shocked first off that Lincoln punted the ball with only one timeout, two minutes and 50 seconds left. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's the worst like call he's the made
1: season. since he's been the coach.
0: It is. It was a disaster. First off, Saturday and Sunday, I sat there and watched coaches kick when they should not have kicked constantly. <laughs> I it, thought it, of
1: you when I saw all those, yeah. Oh,
0: my God. It just, and it's my pet peeve. It's, it's, I don't know why. It, my biggest pet peeve in sports is coaches who just love their kickers to death. And we have so much of that going on right now in coaching. But, anyway, I, I, I was shocked that Lincoln – punted and then I was shocked that whenever they came back out it's like no they never had a chance they never had a chance to to go down the field Spencer Rattler air mails interception it was man it was an uninspiring second half um and I'll say this I I'm no longer on the franchise so I don't I don't have to be as impartial as I used to have to be watching Sooner tears on Twitter it was (laughs) It was the best part of my weekend. I just – y'all can call me what you want, Homer, Hater, whatever you want to say. It's bad for the Big 12, whatever. That's fine. I don't even – I take no I, – I don't, I don't get any joy out of OU losing. I like Lincoln Riley. I think he's great. Uh, you know, anybody I've ever talked to down there has been nice and has been awesome. But the sooner tears on Twitter make it all worth it.
1: I have a new perspective on this because my fiance is an OU alum. Her her dad oh, no. her dad played football at OU in the 70s with the Selmans. And uh it's funny because with all the success OU's had, I mean, clearly they've won 13 Big 12 titles. <clears throat> they are a very <clears throat> excuse me. They are a very spoiled fan base. And I will say, like, they have a legitimate gripe because they don't, as I said, they don't lose like the big games, it's almost more frustrating when you lose to teams, you're a four touchdown favorite to it doesn't have five defensive backs. Like, and that's, that was the the sentiment I kept hearing from her and, and her friends was like, why do we lose to these teams? And it, it really doesn't make any sense, but I, I do have a new perspective on it, watching the game with a, a sooner alum. So that was, uh that was thoroughly entertaining actually, because she was just, she saw it coming too. whenever, the tide started to turn a little bit. It's like, well, we're probably going to lose. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, he's not going to lose at Kansas State. But she she saw it coming.
0: Was she okay when when all was said and done? Did she shake it off pretty good? Yeah, pretty I
1: mean, she doesn't live and die by it. I mean, okay. um, her her dad was probably more upset, and I wasn't watching the game with him. So that was that was fortunate for me because he probably yeah. would have been upset too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's get to our next segment, Colby. Bullets and BBs. Plenty of uh, bullet helmet stickers to hand out here. Uh, I'll start. We kind of touched on it earlier. LD Brown has been a completely different player. I've never quite been impressed with him throughout his career. I thought you saw a significant drop off whenever Chuba would come out of the game last year and LD Brown would get in the game. And that was one of my biggest concerns coming into the season was if Chuba comes out of the game, who's, who's going to run the football effectively. I really hadn't seen it from LD Brown, but he's been exceptional to the, I finally had the stats that I mentioned earlier. earlier. He has 29 less carries and 28 less yards than Chuba Hubbard. That, that is, he's getting the job done. He's averaging 8.3 yards a pop. Chuba's averaging 4.0. And uh, I just, I could not be more impressed with L.D. Brown. He's my, he's my bullet.
0: Boy, first one is to Calvin Bundage, who has come back onto the scene for Oklahoma State, and he was so, so good on Saturday, just wreaking havoc in the backfield. Uh, I think he got that offside's penalty in the fourth quarter just for nostalgia. Uh, it's not really a Big 12 game if Calvin <laughs> Bundage can jump offside.
1: I'd miss that.
0: You it's missed a, the Calvin Bundage offside? Yes.
1: It's like a, it's like a bingo card. It's like the free square on the bingo card.
0: Yes. Unabated to the quarterback. It was like on the last West Virginia drive in the fourth quarter when the game was pretty much decided. And I'm like, I think he was just doing that for fun because he, <laughs> he missed it. So Calvin Bundage uh, is my first one. He gets a BB and then. Carson, you, you know, I'm not the biggest guy. I'm a little bit slight of build. Uh, so I've got, I've got to give a BB to Deuce Vaughn, the little five-foot-five five running back from Kansas State, who had 45 and a touchdown on the ground. He had 129 through the air, including the 77-yarder that set up a touchdown. I love me a little guy like Deuce Vaughn going out there and balling on a big stage. So my other BB goes to Deuce Vaughn.
1: And he's a freshman, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to deal with him and see him play. He's gonna be the new uh, Skyler Thompson. He's been in college for eight years. Not my
0: BB, did I say BB? Those weren't were, those weren't my BBs. Those were my bullets.
1: Yep, it's it's a confusing segment sometimes. I screw that up all the time. <laughs> but now Deuce Vaughn was was really good, and he's really small, and he's hard to tackle. Uh, my BB, in. I work for ABC so maybe this is a BB for myself but the picture quality on the game I don't know if oh my god ESPN ABC was having issues with the with the Donald Trump like dialing in the Donald Trump press conference that happened midway through the game but the broadcast quality of the picture I tweeted looked like somewhere between VHS and 16-bit video game that's how terrible it looked it was it was it was not crystal clear HD I tell you that and I I like Dan Arlovsky. I've watched him for years. I think he does a really good job breaking down quarterback play. He's, he's really risen the ranks at ESPN despite not being the biggest name because kind of like a Kirk Herbstreit, he's done a really good job analyzing the game. And I know he has a quarterback perspective, but so many times during that game, it, he was just pointing out what West Virginia could do to have success. And anytime OSU would make a big play on defense, it's like, ah, oh, well, West Virginia could have done this and that. It's like, dude, you're missing the point of the game here. The, the biggest thing in this game is OSU's defense is dominating. They are winning the game. It's not West Virginia lack of quarterback play or making the right reads and all this. And the real capper was Shuba Hubbard scores the touchdown to ice the game, and he thought that wasn't, wasn't a good thing. He, he thought that was – they shouldn't have scored there, which I thought was just maddening. So I didn't think he had the best game, and certainly the, the picture quality was tough to look at as well.
0: Yeah, so I made a determination about Dan Orlovsky on Saturday. So there are – So breaking down film, I think he's one of the absolute best in the business. I love watching him on ESPN, break down film, tell me what quarterbacks are doing right, tell me what quarterbacks are doing wrong. But you you know what you get to do when you're breaking down film? You get to watch it beforehand, you get to make all your determinations, and then you get to figure out exactly what you want to say, then you get to go on TV and say it. And that is a very different skill set than watching a game live, reacting to it, and, and, and saying educated things on the broadcast as you're watching it unfold in front of you, those are different skill sets. And I think Orlovsky's great at that first one and not so great at that second one because it wasn't just him. I don't even remember who the play-by-play guy was. Um, on that last drive, they just – first off, when there was like seven minutes and 15 seconds left, they were telling us that Oklahoma State should be letting the play clock run down to two seconds before they snapped the ball like dude you can't run off seven minutes by doing it. you <laughs> gotta go get first downs once you're down to three minutes let the play clock start running down they were talking about that was seven minutes left and then they were very much anti-scoring at the end of the game for Oklahoma State up by seven and up by seven being anti-points is always a bad stance it's always a bad take um They were like, you know, just just get the clock to roll down. Kick your field goal. That's just as good as a touchdown here. And another thing that I hate is whenever people who are calling games assume that field goals are a 100% proposition. We saw over the weekend field goals are not a 100% proposition. West Virginia fumbled the snap on a field goal early in that game. We saw the Dallas Cowboys fail to convert two extra point tries yesterday. Field goals just aren't automatic. A lot of things have to go right in a field goal for it to put three points on the board. So no, I don't think a running back should take a knee at the one when you're up by seven so that you can try to run off 40 more seconds and kick a field goal. So I thought that was really dumb. I I agree with your uh, assessment there. My BB, Carson, and I talked about it earlier, it's my pet peeve. My BB were the amount of punts that I had to watch in non-punting situations. Carson, it was the first or second drive of the game and Oklahoma State has a fourth and two from the West Virginia 40. And they punted on fourth and two yards from the West Virginia 40. And I almost – if, if I wasn't doing this podcast with you, I probably would have turned my TV off and gone the <laughs> off course. I'm serious. Fourth and two from the opponent 40? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, I was – yeah. My you dog see- thought I was really upset about something. I was yelling at my TV. I was standing up, pacing, cussing in my living room. I just – I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe I'll never get it. Uh, it's that's football knowledge that's way over my head. Why you punt on fourth and two from your opponent's forty-yard line?
1: Yeah, I I agree. If you're at the forty, you know, if you're at like the the fifty, okay, you know, or you know your own forty-five, obviously. But yeah, I'm with you on the forty. You got to be aggressive. It's you have to have a play that you think you can run, like a a fourth and two play that you have in the bag that you know that will get a guy open, or a running play that you you fairly certain is going to work. I just, I'm with you. Punting is a a losing proposition.
0: Yeah, a big problem that I have is, okay, if you punt from your opponent's 40-yard line, I think it's probably a 50-50 proposition as to whether a college punter can keep that punt out of the end zone. So let's forget the result because result doesn't dictate whether it was a good decision. Probably a 50-50 proposition whether your punter can keep it out of the end zone. If it goes in the end zone, they get it at the 20. So you're taking a 50-50 chance that they're going to get it at the 20. Is that 20 yards worth of field possession important enough that you're willing to give up possession of the ball and to me I just don't think it is but again that's just that's some high level football and then we watched Neil Brown with 40 seconds left in the third quarter West Virginia is down by 13 points and he decides to kick a field goal to turn a two possession game into a two possession game and I'm like (laughs) that's another thing I don't understand oh you mentioned that last week yeah You're not any closer to winning. The only thing you're closer to is losing by three instead of six. And I guess if you just want to cover, then that's great. But if you're trying to win, I don't understand that.
1: No, I'm with you. I think college football coaches are going to drive you crazy this year with that because it's been an oh, ongoing trend and it's getting worse. I mean, more, more and more teams are doing it. And we mentioned Lincoln Riley punting when his defense literally couldn't get a stop. So I think the college coaches are going to drive you crazy this year.
0: Basically, n- new rule of thumb. This is the rule of thumb for me, Carson. If you have to ask yourself, should I punt here? The answer is no. If it's an obvious punting situation, then you know it's an obvious punting situation. But if you really have to think about whether you should punt, the answer is always no. Go for it.
1: Absolutely. I'm with you. Let's hear from Chris's University Spirit one more time. ChrisUniversitySpirit.com. Get your online gear for OSU. I'm sure they have the the Curse of Cowboys mask still. So if you want to go to the game and wear a mask, you can get you a Curse of Cowboys one. No better look than that. And, again, you can shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Let's get to Chris's uniform review. They wore the 1987 throwbacks. They went full Stormtrooper, the all-white at home, I thought was a great look. Throwbacks looked exceptional. Uh, What was your take on the uh, the throwback uniforms?
0: The throwback uniforms were incredible. They were awesome. Everybody loved them. Social media loved them. They loved them on the broadcast. Um, Again, I'm not a throwback every week type of guy. Like some people were saying, I think it's a nice – curveball a nice change up uh in the middle of the season to wear them i also thought the white was a nice choice because i think the high was like 88 in stillwater on saturday which means on the turf it's probably a little closer to 100 so i think rocking the all whites was probably a good move yep they were clean they looked good um the only thing older than the uniforms were the cameras so i thought all in all it was pretty good
1: <laughs> it was a throwback day it was a, a, a throwback total thing. throwback in 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 every way shape or form who was your Chris's University Spirit uniform Heisman.
0: Oh, it was Calvin Bundage, and it wasn't close. It wasn't close. Calvin was rocking that uniform, and maybe it's just because he was coming off the edge at 100 miles an hour, and he kept putting his shoulder pad right in the ribs of Jared Dagey. but he, he definitely looked the part in those throwbacks.
1: Yes, he does. and I just love linebackers, defensive ends that wear the single digit. I mean, number one on a linebacker is just about as good as it gets. So Pretty I, clean. I,
0: and A-man's looking good with seven on this year too.
1: Yes, I, oh, that's I, I meant to mention that. I forgot he switched. I, I, that's going to take some getting used to. Uh, mine is Trey Sterling, another single-digit number three. Yeah. To me, he just the face mask, the the entire ensemble. He just looks like an SEC LSU type safety in uniform. I'm not saying he's you know. Grant Delpit, the Thorpe Award winner from LSU at safety last right. year, but he's he certainly looks—he certainly looks the part, and I, I thought he was my my clear winner on the uh, the uniform Heisman.
0: Yeah, he's a stud. He he had some really nice open field tackles on Saturday. I I really enjoy Trey Sterling. He's, he's I mean, big
1: time. He's big time, oh, and guy. and I I understand the look, and everyone loves it, and it did look great. I still like the current modern uniforms where they wear different combinations every week there's been this groundswell that oh they should just wear these every week where we're the whites on the road and the, the orange ones at home uh i i like it once a year it's a great throwback look but i i like all the different combos and seeing what they wear every single game with the all the different helmet combinations that's just
0: yeah weird. i'm in agreement and i almost feel like it's weird that we're in agreement because i feel like we're in the minority on that i feel like so many people get enthralled with the throwbacks. I'm like, I I kind of enjoy waking up every Saturday and then turning the TV on to see what Oklahoma State's wearing. I think it's fun to – and I think recruits like that too. I think the players like it. So, again, I think once a year you should rock the throwbacks. And I think every other week you should, you know, figure out what kind of combination you want to do, let the seniors pick the the helmets, the jerseys, and the pants. So, uh, I feel like we're in the minority, but I'm in agreement.
1: Well, and I've always said – and this was my gripe for years with the uniforms before they went to the new ones – Oh, shoes colors are orange and black. That's their two main co- colors. It's not orange and white. It's it's orange and black. And that's why I like the new ones so much. They have so much black with the helmets, they can wear all black. And that's, that's the number one thing I've always, I'd always wanted to see before they made the switch was look, the orange, and, you, have, you have a great, you know, so many teams around the country, Colby, want to wear all black. They want to wear black uniforms, even when it's not a school color. And OSU, it is a school color, so embrace it, celebrate it. And they have, and that's, that's kind of why I, I like the current ones. But the throwbacks certainly look good with, with Thurman Thomas in the house.
0: Yep, I agree. Can I uh, give you a one interesting thing before we get out of here?
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: My one interesting thing is that it took Mike Leach one day. It took him one day, Carson, in the SEC to set the all-time <laughs> conference single-game passing record with a kid who came over from Stanford who couldn't throw it in the ocean from the beach when he was in Cali. And now <laughs> he sets the single-game passing record. Took him one day, Carson. He's one one breaking records in the SEC against LSU. It was – that, to me, was crazy to watch on Saturday.
1: 623 passing yards for K.J. Costello. They, they go to Death Valley – Again, this is Mississippi State. They win 44 to 34. I know LSU's lost a ton of talent. I get all that. But you're right. His first game, he totally turns the SEC on its head. And that, that's what I've, I've always wanted to see Leach in the SEC because, you know, the SEC's the best conference. We all know that. They play big-time defense. They put a ton of guys in the NFL. But the offensive style that Leach runs at the Big 12, a lot of teams in the Big 12 run, it negates a lot of that NFL talent you have on offense because it puts you out in space. It spreads you hash mark to hash mark. And you saw it in week in the first week of the SEC. Leach completely destroyed LSU. And I'm curious to see if he starts a little bit of a revolution in the SEC. They already kind of started it with Tua, and Alabama started running more spread concepts with, with Lane Kiffin. But it's time the SEC they're, – they're about to learn what football is really like in 2020 because they've been kind of behind the, the, the offensive – innovation they haven't had the nfl level quarterback play for the most part in the sec that other leagues have been putting out and so i've always wanted to see leach too at a at a blue blood type job he's now completely revamped mississippi state one of the biggest outposts in power five washington state might be the biggest outpost in power five football i mean pullman is in the middle of nowhere lubbock another outpost he goes in in, is the best coach they've ever had so This guy just wins. It's maddening to me a a program like Tennessee didn't hire him. Can you imagine him with Tennessee athletes or a Florida? You know, these SEC schools that passed on him because he's quirky and he says weird things at a press conference. The guy wins. And he's completely turned the SEC on its head in week one. That was actually my one interesting thing too. I wanted to talk Mike Leach too. So I I could not be more impressed with him. And he has to just he has to just I I bet you Leach when he's done with his postgame press conference. I'm sure he, he makes himself like a margarita. You know, he hangs out in Key West a lot. I'm sure he makes like a margarita after the game. And I'm sure he pulls up the box score from Texas Tech and just laughs his ass off every single time he does it because that he got ran out of there by that administration. And Tech hasn't won nine games since. They won nine games like virtually every year he was there, and they haven't won nine since. So I, I'm sure Leach is getting the last laugh on, on Tech, and, and good for him. He's a, he's a hell of a football coach.
0: Oh, and, and can I give you one um... – one bad thing before we get out of here? Sure. One bad thing is the dirty, dirty play yesterday in the Dallas Cowboys game on our, on our former Cowboy, Chris Carson, where the D lineman for Dallas basically did a death roll with his leg wrapped up against him. And I, it, I reminded, was reminded because I just got the update. Chris Carson actually only has a minor knee sprain. That came from that and could play this week against the Dolphins, which would be remarkable because that looked like it could be bad, and that was a dirty, dirty play, Carson. So see,
1: yeah. I was I was working yesterday and I walked out to the set when it happened, so I, I missed the play. I just saw him going into the tent. I didn't see the play. I have to go back and watch that search, because uh,
0: just search Chris Carson on Twitter and a hundred videos will pop up in the the top tweets. I mean, he he has his leg. Carson is down. The play's over, and he does like a full. Death roll like an alligator would, and rolls Chris Carson over. While oh,
1: I'm watching it now. That is dirty. That is dude, a dirty, dirty, would. dirty play.
0: Anybody who hasn't seen it, search Chris Carson's name on Twitter, Facebook, Google, whatever, Oof. and that injury, that video will pop up. That's a dirty, dirty play.
1: Well, I've got him in fantasy football, so I'm I'm ticked. That's yeah. I that's mean,
0: I, I, do, I do too. But it, I mean, it's not even that. The guy has been so good in the NFL, but he hasn't played a full season. He can't stay healthy the whole time, and you you know fluke injuries happen it's football that that stuff's part of the game that's that deal yesterday twisting his leg around that's not part of the game so I would hate to see him go down like that because I think he's got a chance to make big big money running back money in the NFL if he can stay healthy for a full season
1: yeah no doubt what, what was his seventh round pick Chris
0: Seventh
1: god oh, unbelievable yeah and it says yeah. Ian Rappaport reports that Cowboys defensive tackle Tristan Hill will likely be fined, not suspended, for for rolling on his legs. So, at least he'll yeah, I think he should be he suspended, get fined.
0: but I'm sure it'll be a hefty fine, 25 or 50K.
1: Well, Colby, it's Kansas week. It's a big week for Oklahoma State football, but uh, the, the Cowboys are 2-0. and And uh, we'll, we'll check back in with you on, on Friday and preview the game, and maybe we'll have some news on, on Spencer Sanders' status. And uh, the Matt Hatter awaits OSU up in Lawrence, but we'll break it down on, on Friday. Colby Powell? Thanks for joining me. We'll uh, we'll talk to you then.
0: Go boat.